0: Taxpayer
1: Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. This is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility here with Jeremy Kitchen, our executive director. How are you doing, Jeremy?
0: Hey, another day.
1: Another day. Yeah, a little little, uh, little bit of a beginning this week, a little slow. We had some bills on the floor. We're scoring one, but not a whole lot going on. But the big news in the Capitol is that very likely the budget is going to be debated next week. So you want to talk about that just for a minute, Jeremy?
0: Yeah, sure. So as we've talked about a few times before, but for those that are not aware, right, the budget is done biennially since the legislature only meets once every two years for 140 days. It's the one thing they're constitutionally bound to do is pass a balanced budget. Um, And so that is taking the form of House Bill one, this legislative session that's officially uh, passed out of the House Appropriations Committee. It's currently in the House Calendars Committee. Um, And then, of course, as you said, the scuttlebutt is that it'll likely be um, deliberated. I'm going to use air quotes deliberated by the House Uh, next week for those that have tuned in to this kind of festivity uh, previously it is a lot of theater political theater um, and such and i'm sure we'll get into that but uh, that'll likely take place next week right before we go into good friday and easter so
1: yeah so uh first and foremost we want to let everybody know we are going to be doing a live stream of the budget next week meaning you know whether it lasts eight hours or ten hours we're essentially going to have the live feed, and we're going to have a lot of guests, and we're going to be commenting on what's going on. This is kind of our Super Bowl, and so uh, please expect you'll see some more uh, in, uh, some more promotions and things like that, uh, but we will be streaming on... Plenty of platforms will have info to come on that. And so we'll be kind of critiquing and talking about the budget. I think it's worth mentioning uh, that we have a budgetary plan as well. We have a frozen budget we have been promoting. We should have a paper out very, very shortly, kind of commenting on the budget and uh, you know its current form, the form we'd like to see it in, and kind of how far it misses that frozen budget uh, right now, I believe we are on track to triple our budget since 2000, uh, which is something we've been predicting for a, about a year. Uh, a lot of that's inflation, but a lot of it is just simply uh, we are really bad at spending money uh, and we, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem and we grow our budget. This year, we were allowed to grow, I think, 12.3 uh, percent. We're not quite hitting that, but that is a significant amount of growth. I think a normal uh, budgetary growth is around three to four percent.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's we could spend a whole episode, and I'm sure, like, why would we give away the, the budget live stream, right, by talking about it? There's a few kind of key takeaways, in my opinion, uh, for taxpayers to be aware of, right, is that you know, under Republican control. Now, Republicans have controlled right the levers of government for two decades. Under Republican control, they've grown government. Right? Uh, if 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 ultimately government spending is a burden to taxpayers, they have grown government. Um, as you said, we're on set to triple since the year 2000. Um, you know that should be concerning. Uh, to be clear, our frozen budget says nothing more than you should not be able to spend more than what you allocated last biennial budget. So in the last legislative session, right, uh, when they budgeted for fiscal years 20, uh, 2022 and 2023, we're simply saying that we shouldn't grow that budget at all. You know, if we believe as conservatives, as people that value fiscal responsibility, that government is already too big, then the simple answer is why, or question is, why do we allow it to grow any more than it already has. Um, and so we should implore our lawmakers to, uh, this is the whole purpose, to be honest with you, of why we elect them. They should have to make the hard decisions as to what gets funded and not um, until our government gets put uh, down to the kind of the size it was originally intended to be. And we've let them run roughshod over it for the last few decades. And it is high time we get them to go back um, to, to what a, a size of limited government would be. So and that's what the frozen frozen budget represents.
1: Yeah and I think the the core idea behind the frozen budget is to make some adjustments. Specifically, what we're trying to do as an organization is eliminate property taxes. And so, you know, we're asked quite often, you know, well, how long is it going to be frozen for? Are we just going to keep it at the same level forever? Um, No, not necessarily. Uh, We will keep it at that level until we're able to eliminate property tax. That's simply our goal, right? And so uh, the low-hanging fruit, and we've talked about this many times, is this legislative session, we'd like to be put on a path to school MO elimination. But of course, that is only about half of your property tax bill. You still have cities and counties and uh, special purpose districts. And in order to eliminate this, we'll either have to, you know, raise or create a consumption-based tax. Or our preference is not create any new taxes, not raise any taxes, use the current revenue that we already have by simply showing fiscal restraint, by freezing our budget where it's at, and then using that money to pay down M&O and other factors on all of these other portions of the property tax. Once that is accomplished, Hey, we can go back to that metric of population plus inflation growth. Uh, and as Jeremy said, you know, we operate under the principle that government is already too big. I've never talked to someone who claims to be a fiscal conservative that does not concede the government is not only too big, but is way way too big. And it's just funny to me that the best metric we can come up with as conservatives is population plus inflation growth, simply slowing the growth of a of a budget and a government that is already way, way too big. And so it's actually a very practical uh, and realistic thing to say, let's just freeze it where it's at until we're able to accomplish some of the fiscal goals we have.
0: Yeah. I, you know, the only other thing I'd add here is that ultimately right? You know, for those that are not familiar with the budget process, I use the word process pretty loosely, but if you're not familiar with it, right, by and large, you know, everything has already kind of been determined. And so what's going to happen, assuming that the the rumors that we alluded to earlier are correct, right, is they'll come and they'll pre-file a bunch of amendments. I think the last few legislative sessions, at least in the House, we've had several hundred amendments, right, uh, of, of lawmakers at least pretending, uh, but uh, many of them maybe, you know, Trying to actually amend uh, the budget to either you know include their bill that maybe isn't going anywhere or or move funding right from one one area of the budget to another. Very few of them actually just cut and don't try to replace it. But nevertheless, that's what you're going to see here, and uh, what inevitably happens. Is they start, you know, they start going through article by article and uh, we get to, you know, some period by which they start getting tired and someone makes a motion, right? To just kind of include all of the remaining amendments to article 11 or the wish list as we call it, because they all know, right? The way this process works is it's going to, the budget's going to pass. It's going to go. So the Senate, the Senate's going to do what it's going to do with it, right? Um, not that they've been having conversations in a, va- in a vacuum. And then they're going to appoint a conference committee, five members from the House, five members from the Senate, which almost inevitably are the subcommittee chairman for all these articles, right? And really, it's those 10 people that are going to determine what's in the budget. Right, and then you know, sometime towards the last few weeks of the legislative session, they're going to kick out the conference committee report for the budget, and we're going to be running out of time, and lawmakers are are going to approve of it, right? And and that's kind of the sad and dismal state of the budget process. Um, and so, all we're saying is uh, we're trying to kind of act as those those folks in the gate to say enough is enough with the spending. Take this job seriously. It's the one thing we elect them to do, um, and that's what the frozen budget represents.
1: Yeah, I believe it was was it Schaefer that brought the the rule um the rule change where they would have voted article by article in in the,
0: the I, Did rule. he actually but, bring it? I know he tweeted about it. I'm not entirely sure if that I can't I mean, remember now, but uh, whether
1: he did or not is is irrelevant. You know, this this is the way if we want to have actually a debated budget where we're actually having meaningful discourse and not kabuki theater. This is the way in which we would uh, want to handle the budget. I've even seen other states and I'm not necessarily opposed to this, although I don't like them meeting more than usual, but even taking like a special session uh, right before primaries, right? In January or February of even years where they come and we just deal with the budget. Because as you said, Jeremy, it's very, very clear and has been for as long as I've been involved in, in state politics that the cake's already baked. They've already, the LBB basically decides who, you know, what the budget is going to be. Uh, even the committee is all Kabuki theater. And then we come to the floor and it's just people uh, trying to get video clips of themselves or saying, you know, saying this or that, that they can tweet out. Uh, but ultimately it's going to come down to a conference committee. And ultimately they're going to have the version of the budget that the LBB wants. And so this is, this is a big show. Um, now there is some interesting things that are going to happen during the show. There always are. Uh, but, you know, it, it it highlights the need for reform of the budgetary process as a whole uh, if we want our representatives to have meaningful interaction with the state budget.
0: I think the thing I'll be looking the most for is obviously our efforts have been focused on a lot this last year is property tax relief and whether or not lawmakers, specifically in the House, right, if they are okay with the purported property tax relief that is included um, in the budget currently, or if there will be efforts to increase that amount by whatever um, uh, whatever amount to benefit Texas taxpayers. Uh, there's a lot of things to look out for, but I think that's probably the number one thing I'll be looking out for specifically, is to see if there's any actual good faith effort by lawmakers to put their money where their mouth is, right? And provide, quote unquote, the largest property tax cut right, in Texas history. And uh, this will be a vehicle by which the they can do that. And so it'll be interesting to see.
1: So speaking of property taxes, I believe HB2 is in calendars right now. Uh, because it is a priority, we do uh, assume that this is going to come up probably next week, maybe the week after that. It's going to depend on how the budget shakes out and what those calendars look like. Uh, but since this is a priority legislation, we anticipate We see it on the floor very, very quickly in the next week, maybe worst case scenario, two weeks. Of course, uh, you know, we have reported on this uh, despite testimony on the bill in opposition to appraisal caps. They kept them in there. Uh, they did not listen to the countless, really hundreds of people who came down to witness against appraisal caps and how they will raise rates and ultimately don't really save anybody any money at all on property taxes. And so, when that gets to the floor, we expect a a big, robust debate on uh, the bill itself. Are they going to add more compression? Are they going to remove the caps out of the floor? So, I'm really interested to see you know what what transpires over the next week or so with that bill as well.
0: Yeah. So to be clear, House Bill 2 or the House's prioritized bill, right? This is Speaker Phelan's priority, Republican leadership's priority. Um, It's authored by the House Ways and Means Chairman, right? State Representative Morgan Meyer out of Dallas. This specifically, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Where it's like, yeah, it does. It it attempts to lower the appraisal uh, cap from 10 to 5%, apply it to all property. But it also applies or has included in it double the compression that the Senate's approaches. Uh, do. Uh, Compression, we favor, right? The M&O compression you spoke about earlier. And so it'll be interesting to see if any efforts once that gets to the floor are actually done to try to change that bill, manipulate in a way to to your point where, um, you know, business groups, individuals, people like our organization, other organizations can come on board and be like, look, this is a better approach, kind of get rid of this appraisal cap you know, reform gimmick that that you're performing and let's just throw compression, you have the means to do it this session. Uh, The question is, well, again, will they make an effort as lawmakers uh, to to provide for that? We'll see. Um, I I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, The big question is, is which which package right or a combination of packages is going to actually make it into law. Uh, We've discussed before. The Senate, I think, was smarter in how they dealt with this, which is they basically divided. theirs up into three different pieces of legislation, SB 3, 4, and 5. And essentially, you have the homestead exemption increase. You have... Uh, about less than half of the compression uh, in in HB4, excuse me, SB4. And then in SB5, it's a business uh, private property um, uh, increase. And so what the House did was they combined both the appraisal caps and their compression into one. And so it makes me lean that likely what's going to prevail is going to be the Senate version. The real question, I think, is, uh, both chambers are adding compression, right? M and O compression house uh, about 11.5, I believe in Senate, I think is about five, 5.5 billion. And so uh, the question is, are we going to add more? I think there is a possibility that we are going to add more. And we've actually had uh, a, quite a few folks kind of allude that there is more. Who was it on? Uh, was it Patrick that just came out and said, Hey, we have, we have more, right? We don't really know what that means, but it, it does. We do have room, you know, uh, to, to, kind of bump up to that constitutional cap. I think the last I heard is about three or four billion dollars of wiggle room. And so are we going to add three or four billion more dollars in compression? I hope so, uh, but we we just don't know it's all speculation at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's a little too early to tell but at the same time on the flip side of that it's it's a little too late right it's like we're getting we're over the halfway mark for the legislative session. And for those that maybe aren't aware right today is day 79 or 80 right of the 140 day legislative session you know, here really the month of April is the only full month by which there's not really deadlines, right? And if your bills, the bills that you support aren't necessarily moving by that time, you should start getting concerned. But once we get into the first few weeks of April, uh, of May, um, there's some self-imposed deadlines there and those bills will start to die um, in the legislative process. And so, you know, for taxpayers that are concerned about ta- tangible property tax relief, or, you know, the, the bills that we particularly favor um, that focus strictly on M&O compression, those have yet to get hearings, um, and so you know we're we're going to get here in the next few weeks into that kind of like okay, what's happening, you know, um, uh, mode on these things, and and uh, you know if you aren't contact is a good reminder if you're not con not in contact with your lawmaker now you absolutely should be right um, to to make sure that these things get through the process so.
1: Yeah, it's kind of wild that you know we're we're about to enter April, and and of course this happens every session, right? And like the House has their first calendars just happened this week. All of the deadlines for House bills are typically uh, mid-May. I don't know the exact date this go around, but you have calendars who basically has a thirty-day window where they can just hold on to a bill, and so we have about two weeks. Uh, before you know, they could hold on to the bill until basically the deadline if they want to, and this is usually always the complaint. You know, they say, "Oh, we didn't have enough time," but they kind of purposely slow walk things. And the fact that we're going to be dealing with the budget very likely next week—that's going to basically be a wash uh, on that. We maybe we hear HB two, maybe we don't, uh, but it's going to be the lawmakers are going to be consumed with amendments and focusing on the budget next week, and so then we have one more week. And then we're roughly at that 30-day mark. And so anything that's not having a hearing right then and kicking it to calendars, voting it out, not leaving it pending, but voting it out to calendars uh, is in severe danger of dying uh, and very likely will if it's not regarded as high priority where calendars are just going to kick it out in a couple of days.
0: Speaking of interesting bills that have not moved as of yet, right? House Bill 5, which we've talked about before, this is the prioritized corporate welfare bill, right? Revitalizing the chapter 313 tax abatement program, the words you're not allowed to say, according to some of the special interest groups that are supportive of these things. Um, That bill uh, was referred to, I believe, Ways and Means a few weeks ago, House Ways and Means Committee has not had a hearing yet. What is notable, however, is that it's got significantly more authors, people signed on as as authors or supportive of the bill. Obviously, we've talked about this several times. We're opposed to corporate welfare in any any form. We are absolutely opposed to legislation that would revitalize the largest corporate welfare program in the state of Texas. But what's interesting out of the, I think it was 50 some odd folks that are already signed on as authors is that there's a good spread of Republicans and Democrats um, that have signed on as supportive of the bill. And, you know, as we've talked about, both of those parties in their platform have an explicit opposition to corporate welfare. Um, And so it's interesting to see them kind of defy that, uh, you know, spit in the face of taxpayers, if you will, and, uh, and support such cronyism, right. Um, It'll be interesting to see when that bill does in fact get a hearing and and start moving.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I think this bill is going to be close in the house and maybe I'm wrong. Right. But typically you get a good feel, uh, based on co-authors, I think we're, what, in the mid-50s right now. You need 76 uh, to pass, assuming we have everybody on the floor, right? I know the Freedom Caucus has come out already vocally in opposition uh, to the bill, as well as a few uh, other representatives. I expect, you know, Tender, Holton and Slayton, and others uh, who are more conservative, who might not be a member of the Freedom Caucus, who will oppose as well. The question, I think, really is how many Democrats are going to oppose this, um, uh, I don't know, but I anticipate it's going to be a knockdown drag out on the floor. I think it's going to be really really close. Uh, and if they're able to get it across the finish line in the House, you know, even if it's by, you know, four or five votes, the question is is Dan Patrick going to approve the corporate welfare program it, it, or is the Senate going to stop the renewal of chapter 313 because like I said, we can use all the euphemisms we want, but this is what it is. It's chapter 313 renewal. It is corporate welfare. And so is the Senate Typically, the more conservative chamber going to reject corporate welfare uh, in the same way that uh, it failed to renew last go round. And so uh, yet again, we will see, Uh, you know, we're taking it week by week, uh, but it is going to be interesting to once HB5 actually gets to the floor.
0: I think all of these, all of the things we talked about today are great reminders again, right? Well, to plug our, our fiscal responsibility index and vote notices. If you are not subscribed, right? For not, not necessarily our weekly email, the fiscal note, you should absolutely subscribe to that, right? But if you are not subscribed to our vote notices, it's the best way to stay up to date with legislation that's moving, that's important to taxpayers moving through the process that we send out vote notices on both to the general public and lawmakers ahead of time, right? On things that might be included on in our fiscal responsibility index. And so if you're not subscribed to that already, we implore you go to Texastaxpayers.com/slash subscribe. You can see right there, you can tick the box if you want just for vote notices um, and get and get hooked up on those. And we send those emails out every time we issue an official vote notice.
1: Yeah, also if you do not follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube, I encourage you, especially this week, to go follow and like our page. We will be streaming this this budget night all day long on multiple platforms. We're still in talks about which ones we're going to use, uh, but we will be doing a live stream and we're gonna be partnering with a number of other organizations uh, and and it's just going to be a really fun time. So I encourage you to follow us, uh, check your email. We will be giving updates here in the next few uh, days, exactly how it's going to, we're waiting for confirmation. The rumor is it's happening next week. We haven't got confirmation. We should probably get confirmation as they start setting, you know, amendment rules and things like that. Uh, but it's, you know, I would say probably 90% probability that it's going to go down next week. So y'all, uh, y'all join and follow us uh, and please tune into that live stream. I think that is it for this week on Taxpayer Talk. We appreciate y'all being with us. We will see you again next week. have a good one.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For even more content, head over to our website, texastaxpayers.com, where you can find all of our written content, the Fiscal Responsibility Index, and a whole host of resources that can help you navigate the already ongoing 88th legislative session. Make sure while you're there to subscribe to the fiscal note and vote notices to stay informed about issues that affect your wallet. Thanks.